Take the baseline out. Uh huh. Jiggle. Uh -huh. Bounce. Uh huh. Uh huh. Uh -huh. Yeah. Let it bump though. Uh huh. Hi, folks. Today's show is brought to you by FanDuel, the leader in one-day fantasy sports. You can play on FanDuel all year long, whether it's football, baseball, basketball, or hockey. Whatever sport you like, you can play it daily on FanDuel. Use promo code 4 for 4 that's 4-F-O-R-4, for a 100% deposit bonus. You know me well from nightmares of a lonely cell. My only hell was since when y'all niggas know me to fail. Nah, we all my with the rubber grips. Welcome to DFS MVP, Daily Fantasy Sports, most valuable podcast, presented by 4 for 4 Football. I'm Chris Raybon, the senior DFS editor at 4 for 4. With me, my co-host, he's been playing fantasy football for over a decade, a great DFS mind, also former professional poker player. Which makes him very knowledgeable, not just on football, but on the bankroll management, game theory aspects of DFS. One of the favorite analysts of mine, favorite people to read, Mr. TJ Hernandez. What's going on, TJ? What's up, Chris? Man, I'm, I'm excited that we're finally here for our first podcast of the season. I've been looking forward to this all summer, man. I'm excited. Yeah, I already know, bro. Um, before we... Before we get into what we're going to talk about today, let's uh, let's quickly talk about the the music that played us in. That was Jay Z's "Hard Knock Life" off his 1998 album, Volume Two, "Hard Knock Life." What you think of that, TJ? Oh man, even though even though I'm from California, I'm I'm partial to Jay Z as as the best rapper of our generation. So uh, for whatever that's worth, I appreciate it. Yeah, I agree, man. Um, Hove is the best rapper alive. Hard Knock Life Volume 2. That was actually the first CD I ever owned. Um, and it's still one of my favorites to this day. So if you guys like the song, go check it out. Jay-Z, Hard Knock Life Volume 2. So today, we got a, a great episode for y'all. Um, we are going to, of course, get to our week one picks. We're actually going to do that in next Thursday's episode. Um, but this week, we have a special episode where we're going to be talking all about lineup construction. I've got a lot of questions on Twitter. I know TJ has, too, about, you know, how do you guys go about constructing your lineups? What is your research process? Um, what players, what positions do you um, enter into your lineups first? How do you start out? And, um, you know, how do you... How you guys really go about, you know, selecting every every position? So we're gonna we're gonna walk you through all of those things. Um, we'll, we'll talk about, you know, our research process, what what we're researching, what we have open, what what tabs and websites we have open when we're doing our research, what spreadsheets we have. Uh, we'll talk about, uh, you know, who who we're getting into our lineups first, who we're building around. Um, and then we'll go position by position, really, and just and just discuss, you know, the important facts, um, the important things you have to assess and analyze and, and keep in mind um, as you're selecting each position. Um, so that sound good? Yeah, man, I'm excited. Like like you touched on, we'll be we'll be giving out um, some some weekly uh, value picks at each position. Uh, luckily, we have 
plenty of time leading up to week one, so we'll be able to break it up into two podcasts. But every week we will be touching on picks as well as uh, one very specific theory topic. And like you said, this week will be lineup construction throughout the season. Uh, there will be plenty of, of different theories and, and bankroll management, just things outside of actually uh, looking for values and, and building a lineup uh, that, that will be able to help you make some money in daily fantasy sports. Ain't nothing more important than the moolah. That's Let's what do it, it is, man. All right, man. So let's start off. Um, and TJ, I'm gonna ask you. Um, you know, what what research, what information do you have on hand? You know, what what internet tabs, what websites are you on? What spreadsheets do you have open when? You're you're starting your lineup building process. Like when you log into FanDuel or DraftKings or Aces, you know what what's open on your computer? What are you looking at? Yeah, man. Well, I'm I'm a spreadsheet guy myself. I a lot of my research starts with uh, just importing a ton of of stats, the the relevant stats uh, that that I think. Uh, are very important for DFS scoring, and a lot of this is is based on on your work from last season and a series you continued on this season, uh, on four for four that breaks down uh, correlation stats that are correlated to fantasy scoring on both Fanduel and DraftKings. And when I read the when I read that series last year, it it literally changed how I approached this game. And I'm not just saying that because you're my co-host. I mean that, man. Uh, th- the the correlation stats are, are really important. So um, the first thing I do is is I I import my I import my players. I import the salaries. Um, I import the value reports from four for four. Uh, not just because the projections are super accurate, but the the process makes it very easy. You can export it to a um, a uh, Excel file. Um, it's all organized by player and position. The salaries are already there. The projections are already there. The um, adjusted fantasy points, which is a huge metric that I look at, is already there. Um, and then from there, I can I can take those projections. I can add in uh, the the stats that correlate to fantasy points, which we'll touch on when we go through each position. Um, so so it really starts with just getting everything into a spreadsheet broken down by position, um, and then I can I can start. Minimizing my player pool, uh, looking at values, uh, deciding which players are cash game and GPP plays. Um, so it's really a lot of grunt work up front. Um, but but I really do start with four for four. They just make it so easy. I'm not just saying that because that that's a site we're on. It's it's really really simple to do it, and um, it it just makes that that spreadsheet process that can be really tedious before you start setting lineups uh, pretty simple. Um, what about you? I mean, you've done a ton of work. Uh, for four for four that I mentioned uh, regarding the the correlation of, of fantasy scoring, how are you getting that information uh, to to your computer or to your to your spreadsheets before you enter lineups? Well, and, and first of all, I just want to thank you um, for for those kind words, man. I really appreciate it. Um, and you know, yeah, I think I think you hit on a really good point um, about. You have to have relevant statistics, um, and, and that's that's the big reason why I did use correlations. And, and for those out there that um, might not be familiar with with correlations and correlation coefficients, it's it's, it's just basically it's on a scale of of, of zero to one and zero to negative one and um you know the higher 
the number, the, the more of a relationship it has. If it's, if it's a positive number between zero and one, it has a positive relationship, which means as one uh, variable goes up, the other goes up. So, you know, as, for example, rushing attempts goes up, rushing fantasy points goes up. Um, and then you have, if it's a negative number, um, it just means uh, there's an inverse relationship. So, you know, as, for example, interceptions would go up, fantasy points for quarterbacks would go down. Um, so that's all that means. And, and I think in, in the NFL especially, it's very important to find relevant statistics because um, we're looking at a very small sample. Even in a season, there's only 16 games. Um, there's only each each offense runs only about 60 plays per game. Um, so, 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 and every player, um, you know, running, you know, quarterbacks see a, see a high volume of attempts, maybe five, six hundred. Um, but, but you know, running backs, the best running backs are still only getting about three. 300 uh, touches, uh, three to 350 touches, and, and receivers are only getting about 150 targets at the top of at the top of the food chain. So you know it, it's very important to kind of get you know to understand what statistics are relevant and what what what's the signal and what's noise. But um, to to go back to your question, TJ, you know um, I definitely like you said I have I have our I have projections with with salaries um that that's that's the first step i think you know you have to have you just have to have a a bait an understanding of you know what what is a player's value in terms of dollar per point um and of course you you can't you can't um you can't make your decision solely off projections because projections can be very accurate, but there's certain things they just can't catch, certain things that could change. Um, you know, players could get injured, and it's, it's, there's no way to account for it in terms of, for example, a defensive matchup in, in a projection. So, um, But yeah, I start out with projections and dollar per points. I, I always want to have, uh, you know, all of my player stats for both offenses and defenses. Um, you know, so um, not, not I'm, I want not just, you know, my, my offensive fantasy stats, stats but I want to try to get my my, my defensive stats my, my cornerback stats you know defensive line stats um things like that and then another thing I, I always have open um when, when I'm about to set lineups is Vegas lines um mm-hmm. yeah the Vegas lines are just they're highly accurate they're they're very important because um game script which is basically the way a game goes the, the what what kind of scoring margin a team is playing with you know is a team playing from behind are they playing from ahead um Vegas does a very good job of predicting that so I always have my Vegas lines open and another thing that's you know very underrated that, that I always have open is 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 the injury report um yeah you know and it's not just about you know the fantasy positions the skill positions quarterback running back wide receiver tight end kicker um with the injury report I'm actually looking at who are the offensive line injuries? You know, who are the the defensive injuries? Is there a cornerback hurt? Is it is a team's second or or, or nickel corner hurt? It, you know, is it, is a team's main you know run stopping defensive tackle going to be out? You know, things like that can can, can totally shift uh, a, a matchup. And, and a final thing I have open, and you know, I don't always use it, but um, you know, it, it's good to to have just in case you're really wondering about players. I, I usually have my NFL game rewind open. Um, you know, I know that is a subscription based um, uh, uh, site, um, but you know, I, I like to be able to 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 watch a player and just see how he looks on the field. If um, you know, if 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 I, if I don't have um, if I don't have a good idea of, of, of uh, what I think of them yet. So so those are the main things, projections, Vegas lines, injury report, and, and NFL game rewind. Um, and so, you know, so once you have those things open, you have your research, you're ready to go, um, you log into the site. So, TJ, I want to ask you, like, 
what's what's your starting point? Because I know a lot of people on Twitter have been asking, um, you know, who do you put in your lineup first? You know, what who do you start out with? What position? You know, what you know? How do you go about? Who's the first player you get into your lineup? So TJ, what who who who's the first player you get into your lineup? What's your starting point when you're building a lineup? Sure. I just want to go back to one thing that you said. Uh, having those injury reports open, that, that's a really great point. And I think that's something that uh, can often be overlooked when people are building their DFS lineups. Uh, there's so many resources. There's so many uh, stats. Uh, there are so many numbers that, that, like we talked about, correlate to fantasy points that you can, you can really get caught up and spend a lot of time looking at these numbers, and that's very important. But numbers don't capture injuries like you mentioned. Uh, that's, that's a really, really great point. And I, I didn't m- mention the Vegas lines uh, right off the bat, but that's also one of the first things that I'm importing. Um, but before we get into position by position, um, in, entering uh, how, how we enter lineups, um, my, the first thing I do once all of my, my grunt work is done, as far as getting everything into my spreadsheets, uh, getting the whole player pool, getting all the salaries in, uh, the first thing I do is, is look at the, the relevant stats, the Vegas lines, um, uh, the projected workload, uh, the value numbers. Um, and I'm, the first thing I want to do is get my player pool down to a manageable uh, size. So any player that that doesn't fit the criteria, uh, and like I said, we'll go through this position by position, but any player that doesn't fit my criteria for for a projected workload or a um, say a Vegas favorite, um, just whatever it might be, I'm, I'm going to eliminate them from my player pool because what can often happen is we'll see this player that is a good value in terms of something like point a uh, dollar per point. Um, but that's like, like we've talked about before, that's based on a median projection and it doesn't capture that player type or the situation or possible game flow. So you can you can find yourself in a situation where you're talking yourself into a play that yes they're a good value in from a projection standpoint but in terms of building your lineups and and uh properly constructing a high floor cash team uh for example um you could make some suboptimal decisions even though this player in a vacuum is a good is a good value based on their projection so the first thing i do is i want to limit my player pool to players that are going to fit the game type that i'm entering um so i know i didn't exactly answer what player i'm I'm putting in first and again we'll talk about that as we get into position but i want to point that out as the major starting point for my process every week Uh, what about you what's the first thing you're doing chris Oh, no, that's a great point, man. Um, definitely, um, you know, cutting down your player pool, you know, that's a major thing because that's the unique thing about playing Daily Fantasy. And I think one of the most fun things about playing Daily Fantasy is that you have access to the entire player pool. It's not like season long where you've drafted a team of 15, you know, 16 players and you can only use them unless you make some trades or, or, or pick up some free agents off the waiver wire. Um, in Daily Fantasy, you literally have access to everybody, and um, 
you know, I think it's very important to cut down your player pool. And like you said, we'll get into how to cut down your player pool at each position, you know, what we're looking for. But I definitely do that as well. Um, you know, I, I, I and a lot of that goes, you know, goes into the Vegas lines, you know, and it, and it goes into the, the dollar per point values. You know, if somebody's just a horrible dollar, dollar per point value or it's in, it's in a horrible situation um, in terms of game flow with the Vegas spread, um, they'll probably be eliminated um from the player pool but as far as your question about you know who am I starting with what's my starting point um you know once I have all that all my player pools um uh cut down um my actual starting point in terms of the first uh position or player I enter into my lineup is usually I usually try to get the the lowest priced um values or plays into my Mm -hmm. lineup first um and, and that and a lot of times you know, some weeks they'll just be an obvious value, um, yeah. a, an obvious, very low cost value that you know you want to play. Um, you know, um, I think, for example, in week one, it could be somebody like Devontae Adams. Um, yeah. You know, he can't, He just came into a lot of value with that Jordy Nelson injury. Um, Jordy Nelson was responsible for over 30% of the Packers passing offense. Um, so, you know, Randall Cobb, you know, he can, he's going to see an uptick, but he can't make up for 30% of an offense. So Devontae is going to be the number two. He's, he's very fairly priced. And that's a guy that I'll probably have, um, in my lineup. So, you know, I'll always put a guy like that into my lineups first. And then I'll, I'll kind of get the low cost guys out of the way first because I want to know, you know, basically how much money I have left over. Um, to build my core around. So a lot of times I find myself starting, you know, again, with the, with, with, the, with the, any obvious low-cost values, but a lot of times I find myself just starting with a defense, you know, just kind of yeah. kind of going from the bottom um, uh, of the defensive list and, and going up and finding that the cheapest defense that I feel comfortable playing, and, and I might slot that defense in. And that doesn't mean necessarily that I'm going to use that defense in my final lineup. Uh, it just means that, okay, this is the – the you know cheapest defense that I feel comfortable playing. So now let me build the rest of my lineup. And if you know I have no salary left over, then fine, I'll leave that defense in there. Um, if if I do have extra salary after I build the rest of my lineup, then I might go back and you know upgrade my defense. But I always kind of want to get the, the cheaper guys in first because um y- you know I you don't want to you don't want to make a mistake with with with, with your with their high value plays. You don't want to force you don't want to force expensive options in there. Um, um, you know, just be, and, and then and then be forced to, to pick uh, a bunch of really kind of low floor, um, risky plays with, with 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 your with your with your lower salary points. Because remember, um, we're all. It's not just you. It's not just me. It's everybody who enters a, a DFS lineup. You know, you're going to get to pick some 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 studs, and you're going to get to pick some high salary guys. But you're also going to have to fill your lineup out with a bunch of the low cost guys. So I think it's important to kind of nail your low cost selections first and then see what you have left over. Um, so that being said, um, let's, let's jump right into the position by position. Cause I know that's what people kind of, you know, they, they want to know about. Um, let's start with quarterbacks. Um, TJ, when, when you're going about selecting a quarterback, um, what are you looking for? How's your process go? In general, um, I tend to favor uh, the high price quarterbacks just because, in in cash games at least because we've talked we've talked about this you've written about this uh, we want these high floor very predictable um, high workload workload efficient quarterbacks and 
when you think about those guys, they're the Peyton Mannings, they're the Aaron Rodgers, they're the Andrew Lux. Uh, they're going to be priced a little higher. Now, you've done work on exactly what position uh, returns value the best based on every site, and, and that's very important and probably crucial in picking uh, your your positional strategy. But generally, when it comes to quarterbacks, I want guys that are going to their their offense is projected to score a lot of points by Vegas. Um, they traditionally do a lot of their scoring through the passing game, and uh, they're also very efficient passers. Um, there's been a lot of, of research and, and, and writing done that suggests that high-volume passing doesn't necessarily um, mean high-fantasy scoring. Um, you want efficient passers, passers that are going to score early in games, that are going to be in favorable situations against favorable defenses. Uh, just because a quarterback's throwing 50 times, if they're doing it down by 21 against a good defense, they're still not going to score fantasy points for you. Uh, so I, I want those guys that I can uh, predict uh, high usage, uh, high efficient usage, um, and offenses that you could trust that are going to have a somewhat narrow range of outcomes. Definitely. I think that's a, a really good point about, you know, you brought up, uh, you know, attempts and, and, and how, you know, quarterbacks, I actually did a lot of research on this myself. And, um, you know, you, you guys um, who are listening can check this out. Um, it's called, uh, it's on 444.com right now in the DFS tab on the homepage. It's called the, uh, Daily Fantasy Playbook 2015 Quarterback Strategy, but I um I basically found that quarterbacks are the only position where efficiency is actually more important than volume. Um, all the efficiency stats for quarterbacks, you know, like passer rating, yards per attempt, touchdown percentage, etc., correlate more strongly to fantasy points um then then do passing attempts and mm-hmm. the reason for that um is because an inefficient passer a poor passer will end up having more attempts because he'll need to so yeah you know if, if for example and this is just a really simplified example if uh if a quarterback throws incomplete on first and second down he's gonna have to throw another pass on third down and that's three passing attempts now compare that to a quarterback who picks up a 20-yard gain on first down, and now he's 20 yards further down the field. At the end, if he scores a touchdown at the end of that drive, he's probably going to have less attempts, um, but yeah. he's going to be more efficient. So, you know, and, and, and you know, just as an example, um, you know, Peyton Manning, Eli Manning, David Carr. Last season, they both averaged 37 attempts per game. Um, and yet... Peyton Manning averaged 20.5 FanDuel points per game. Eli Manning averaged 17.7. And David Carr averaged 12.7. And and that was all with the exact number of passing attempts. And why? Because David Carr was just highly inefficient on first and second down. So, you know, I think that's really, you know, an extremely important point. For quarterbacks, you want quarterbacks who are going to be able to – uh, be efficient in, in in the game that week. Um, no, now whether now whether that's a high price guy or maybe a lower price guy. You know, for example, Andy Dalton's a pretty good discount in week one, and I love Andy Dalton um, because he's going against the Oakland Raiders. Um, they struggle to rush the passer. Um, they struggle in coverage, um, and, and that's just a game where it looks like Andy Dalton could could, could be highly efficient, and, and and I think he's a fine play. Um, you know, so. 
it, it really comes down with quarterbacks to to uh, you know who can be efficient and, and um, you know TJ I know I know you look at Vegas lines a lot so you know when, when you're picking a quarterback what do you, what are you what are you looking for um, in the Vegas lines yeah well ju- just to be clear real quick on efficiency what we're what we're generally talking about what I generally look at is a uh, completion percentage and touchdown rates uh, you know quarterbacks that complete a high percentage of their pass passes are um, are quarterbacks that are obviously very accurate and also have have good targets and then touchdown rate is is actually a stat that over the course of a season um, the, these efficient touchdown throwers they generally stay the most efficient throughout the course of a season um, so that's what we mean when we're talking about efficiency um, but when it comes to Vegas lines um, I I want like I, I kind of mentioned earlier. I want those guys that are projected to score uh, score a lot of points. That doesn't mean they're in a high-scoring game. That means their team is project, projected to score a lot of points. So uh, what I'll see a lot of times is there's a, there's a game with, a, say, there's a 50-point over-under, and the, the Broncos are favored by 10 points. Um, I'll hear a lot of times the argument that you want to play that opposing quarterback because they're going to be in a shootout. Well, no, the reason that game is a 50-point over-under is because the Broncos are going to score 35 points. So in that situation, that that uh, opposing quarterback isn't going to be a good play. Uh, I'm not, say, not saying you shouldn't play uh, an underdog quarterback, but you want that spread to be fairly close with the uh, over-under to be high. That's a situation where where you can find value from, from both quarterbacks. Um, but be careful when you're looking at, at those Vegas lines. You don't want to just look at the over-under. You want to take that spread into account as well. Definitely. I think that's a really good point. And I think, um, you know, to, to give people an example, um, last season, Ryan Fitzpatrick threw for six touchdowns um, in a game. Uh, and, you know, he was actually minimum price that week, which, which just made it even better. Um, against the Titans, um, but you know, a lot of people weren't very comfortable playing him that week, and and, and you know he was very low owned. Um, and you know, to give an example of how you can use these Vegas lines to kind of find you know diamonds in the rough like that, um, that week that Ryan Fitzpatrick threw those six touchdowns, the Texans were seven point favorites. And the game had an over-under of 43. Now, that over-under of 43 does not sound very impressive at all. However, um, you can get a team's, like you said, TJ, a team's projected total um, if you subtract the spread from the over-and-under. So you subtract seven, the seven-point favorite from the over-under, um, and you get, you get 36. Um, and then you divide that by two. And then, and then for the favorite, you just add back um, their, their spread. So... So, you know, you get uh, 36 points, you divide that by two, that's 18. And then, you know, plus seven for the Texans being favored. So basically Vegas projected that game to be a 25 to 18 Texans mm-hmm. victory. Now, 25 points, that is an above average score for an NFL game, first of all. Now, the, the league average score is, is 22.6. Mm-hmm. Um, the Texans average last year was 22.0 coming into that game. So Vegas was saying, hey, I think the Texans are going to outscore, you know, their average 
by a significant percentage, three points, you know, that's a significant percentage. Yeah. Um, because, you know, remember, Vegas is basing this on data. They're basing this on, on averages. So, you know, a lot of times, you know, it, it, the, the team is just going to be projected to score somewhere very near their average. So the fact that the Texans were projected to score that highly above average um, should have tipped people off to the fact that, hey, you know, there's going to be some fantasy projection to go around here. And then on top of that, um, you know, over over the last five seasons, 66% of offensive touchdowns have come via the pass. Mm-hmm. So when Vegas is predicting a team to score a certain amount of points, uh, you know, a large percentage of that, two-thirds of that, um, of, of their touchdowns, you know, on average would come through – through the air. So, you know, when you're looking for quarterbacks, you know, I think it's very important to kind of pay attention to those team totals um, because Vegas is a highly accurate projection system. Uh, Vegas has been doing this for decades. They have a, a large incentive to put out competitive lines, to put out correct lines, um, because if not, they will lose money. So, um, you know, those Vegas lines are very important. Um, and, um, you know, real quickly, you know, uh, we have to get into all the other positions, but. You know, I just wanted to talk about a little about. I know we we talked actually before we got on the air about this. Um, you know, how do you feel about minimum price quarterbacks or really cheap quarterbacks? Um, um, TJ, I know you mentioned that you know you generally like to, uh, you know, pay up at, at quarterbacks. So, what what is what's your view on kind of the cheaper guys? You know, for example, you know, a guy like Tyrod Taylor or a guy like Kirk Cousins uh, coming to week one. <laughs> Uh, we don't have to talk about those guys specifically because I, I know we'll get into those a lot next week. But just in general, what's, what's your feeling on a minimum price quarterbacks? Okay, so if a guy's minimum price, it generally means uh, the, the, for the most part, the only situation that that's going to happen in is he's been thrust into a starter role after salaries came out. Um, now, if, if it's a minimum salary guy, you brought up the Ryan Fitzpatrick uh, um, Example from from last last season. Um, that's a great situation because, like you said, the the Vegas line still told us that uh, they were expecting the Texans to score an above average amount of points in that situation. That minimum salary guy is very valuable. Um, it's going to be obviously very easy for them to hit value in a cash game, uh, but. Uh, the the time I get most excited about these minimum salary guys is when. Um, pricing is very efficient because it opens up a ton of value elsewhere. Um, on, on the flip side, in a situation like week one coming up or when there's a lot of big tournaments running in the middle of the season and for some odd reason salaries are very loose, um, the, the value of that minimum price quarterback relative to the other positions uh, is decreased because the salaries are such that you can you can already uh, insert insert stud players in other positions with with those loose salaries um so generally if salaries are tight i really value those lower price quarterbacks if they're already loose salaries and they're not gonna give me a huge advantage other positions because uh the the salary caps already open up then i'm still gonna want those more predictable guys with a tighter range of outcomes if that makes sense Definitely, and you know, for those listening out there, you know, you have to rewind that back. You know, 
by all means run that back because that was such an important point. You know, um, minimum price quarterbacks can be very valuable, um, but you know, quarterbacks are also the most consistent position. Um, um, and then, so because of that, um, they generally have the highest floors of, 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 of any position. If, if you compare a quarterback at a certain salary to another player at a certain salary, um, that quarterback is usually going to have the highest floor. You know, so, you know, that, that means that, you know, the high-priced quarterbacks are going to give you the highest floor and, and give you the, the most consistent production if you can get that, the most reliable, bankable production if you can get that into your lineup, um, you know, and, but, you know, when, when you later in the year, when a lot of salaries have kind of adjusted, um, usually not, might not necessarily find a lot of values, like TJ said, and then those minimum price quarterbacks just open up your lineups a, a lot more. Like I know, I remember in week 17, um, last season, I started Chase Daniel at quarterback in, 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 on FanDuel, and um, he only got 7.8 points, fantasy points, I believe, so he didn't even hit 2x value on FanDuel, um, but my lineup raked because I was able to put in Odell Beckham, and he had about mm-hmm. 5,000 catches for <laughs> 2 million yards, yeah. um, and no, but you know, I was able to kind of put Odell Beckham and Antonio Brown and Le'Veon Bell and Rob Gronkowski, or maybe, maybe it wasn't Brock because it was week 17, but um, you guys get the point, um, you know, later in the year when salaries have kind of adjusted to true level of production, I think those minimum price quarterbacks become a lot more viable, but it, you know, early in the year, especially week one, there's just so many loose salaries, this guy's like the Devontae Adams and, and, and Chris Ivory, who are just really cheap that you can really get in your lineups and, and not have to worry about um, um, kind of risking so much on, on the minimum price quarterbacks just yet. Um, you know, there's still good tournament plays, but in cash games, I, I'd be a little more careful, um, you know, with those guys. Um, so that, that's that's a great point. And um, before, we, before we go on, um, we're going to get into running backs next. Um, but I just wanted to tell, you know, all the listeners out there that uh, FanDuel is hosting the 4 for 4 Football Championship. Um, and if you go to 4 com, it's in the bottom right corner of the home page. Uh, you'll see a, a, a little banner where you can click and enter into a $10 qualifier. Uh, and, it, and they run through the first uh, 10 weeks of the season. And if you finish in the top five in any week, uh, you, win a, you win a seat to the $30,000 final um, you, you'll, you'll get a free seat to that, and uh, you know all, all of the finalists will get paid out in these. And uh, you know it, it's it's a really cool contest. Um, I'll be entering every week. Um, TJ will be entering every week. Um, four for four is John Paulson, uh, the most accurate uh, projection wizard guru, whatever you want to call him. Over the last five years, shouts to him. He will be in the contest as well. Um, week one's qualifier includes seven thousand dollars in cash prizes. Um, so you know, head over to four for four dot com right now, right after you finish the podcast. You know, click on the banner on the bottom right, enter the contest. Um, you know, try to take my money, try to take TJ's money. <laughs> um, you know, you know, get yourself in, use our advice, and uh, you know, uh, you know, get get yourself a seat to that contest because it's going to be really cool. Um, but yeah. So um, let, let's move on to running backs. We had we had we had a really good, really good talk about quarterbacks, um, running backs. TJ, what are you looking for? Sure. So uh, this time I'll leave the the correlation uh, stats up to you a little bit more. I'll just 
quickly touch on on what I'm looking for uh, for cash game running backs specifically. Um, with my running backs, I want high volume guys, uh, which means a lot of touches, a lot of snaps, um, and not just high volume, but whether it's a it's Fanduel half PPR or DraftKings full PPR site, I still want pass catching running backs for the simple fact that they're not going to be as highly affected by game script. Um, a guy like Jamal Charles is going to still be a factor even if the Chiefs are down by two touchdowns because he's going to be a factor in the passing game uh, as opposed to the classic example of someone like Alfred Morris who uh, once the Redskins you know, get behind, which they will be a lot this year, he becomes a non-factor because he can't catch. Um, and then uh, also I, I want to look at I want to look at goal line touches. I want running backs that are that are getting touches inside the 10 inside the five yard line uh, there there are plenty of examples and we hear it all the time of these vultures um even even though a running back might have you know say say he gets 60 percent of the backfield touches if they're pulling him for the fullback when they get inside the five you're losing a lot of upside and even though you're you're not trying to necessarily score the highest points in your cash games you're just trying to put out a high floor um lineup you still do want guys with with touchdown upside in your cash lineups because inevitably there's going to be players throughout your your lineup that that don't hit projections you want to be able to make up for that somewhere and the way to make up for that is high high floor guys but also high ceiling guys and i think we lose that a lot when we talk about cash games because we put so much emphasis on these high floor guys but if they're if their range of outcomes doesn't include you know a touchdown or two then um you know when one or two other players fall flat on their face, which is going to happen from time to time, if you don't have someone that can make up for that, uh, that's where you can you can see really bad weeks happen. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I, I want running backs that are going to get a lot of touches that also stay in the game uh, regardless of the situation. And, of course, I'm, I'm looking at, at opposing teams' uh, run defense finally. Definitely. Those are so many good points. Um, yeah, I'll... I'll... I'll start off like you, you mentioned the correlations. Um, you know, touch volume, touches, volume correlates um, the most to running back fantasy points. It correlates more than efficiency statistics like yards per touch or yards per attempt. Um, you basically need a running back to get a high amount of touches to produce fantasy points because um, unlike the passing game where a pass can go for five yards, but a pass can also go for 25 yards, or a pass can even go for 50 yards. It's much less likely that a, a, a running back carry, you know, does that. A run, running back carries have a, a, a smaller range of outcomes. It's usually between zero and five and, and five yards is, is what a running back's going to get. You know, of course, there's going to be big plays here and there, but they're they're hard to predict, and therefore they're hard to rely on statistically uh, um, in, in daily fantasy. So you need those touches. Um, and then, you know, the first thing, what I'm really doing, we talked about player pools earlier, and, you know, what I'm doing with running backs is I'm, for, especially for cash games, you mentioned game script, TJ, it's, it's so important, and the first thing I'm doing really is I'm narrowing down my player pool, especially in cash games, to, to, to only Vegas favorites. Um, yeah. I'm not even touching any underdog, because at the end of the day, you know, the running game flourishes when a team is able to play in a, a, a positive or neutral game script. When when a team is either tied or, or they're or they're ahead in the game, that's when they're going to run the ball. And even if you're a pass catching running back, you, you still want you still want um, 
uh, you know, run, running carries and, and goal line carries and things of that nature. And what, what happens is when a team is playing from behind, um, you know, you know, not only do they run the ball less, but, but they end up running the ball less, um, you know, at the goal line. They end up running the ball less inside the red zone, too, because, you know, they, 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 they don't want to take any chances. Um, so, you know, it's really important to get running backs in a positive game script. Look at the Vegas lines. The bigger the favorite, the more uh, desirable of a running back play um, he is. And then, like you mentioned, TJ, goal line carries are very important. Any running back that's not going to go on carries, I'm not considering in a cash game. Um, you know, uh, 61% of all rushing touchdowns occurred within the five-yard line. Um, and then 88% of all rushing touchdowns occur within the goal line. Um, if a running back takes a, a handoff anywhere outside of the red zone, um, there is a 99% chance that it will not go for a touchdown. Um, you know, there are every year, there, there'll be a few long touchdowns, you know, maybe a Chris Johnson, CJ Spiller will break off a few. I know Andre, Andre Ellington did a couple years ago. Um, but in general, um, you know, these long touchdowns are very rare. They're very hard to predict. So, you know, you really want to look at that touchdown upside. You want the, the, the goal line carries. You want the Vegas favorites. And then finally, um, like you said, TJ, um, because game script is so important, you also want the running backs that, um, they do get passing down snaps. They're not automatically pulled from the field in passing down situations because um, even if a guy was a Vegas favorite, for example, um, you know, Vegas is, is highly accurate, but they don't get it right 100% of the time, just like we can't get it right 100% of the time. So what you want to do is you want to kind of protect against, okay, what happens if I get this wrong? What happens if this team gets into an unforeseen situation where they are, they fell behind early. Maybe something went wrong on special teams or, or, or defense or whatever. And, and you want a guy to with, be able to withstand negative game script because he can still remain on the field and still um, get past reception. So, you know, I think that's, uh, you know, game script is, is really what you have to pay attention to with, with running backs. Um, that A lot of the week-to-week volatility, uh, the week-to-week changes in fantasy scoring, um, it's just to do with how the different games unfold. You know, one week a team might, you know, get ahead 14 nothing, and, you know, they'll be able to stick with the running game and, and everything will be fine. But another week, you know, maybe a team fumbles and, you know, ends up giving up a touchdown early and going behind and they have to kind of play from behind the whole game and that, you know, that running back might not be as, as good of a play. So, you know, it's always important to try to maximize the amount of positive game script uh, for running backs in your lineups. Uh, that, that that was a mouthful, Chris, but those – I mean you basically just told everyone exactly what I'm doing every week when I'm when I'm building my cash lineups. Um, I, I don't think there's any anything else that I can even add to that. that those are all – those are all the the aspects that I'm going through every week when I'm when I'm building my cash lineups when I'm looking for running backs. Um, so I, I don't I don't think there's anything else to say about running backs for now. Uh, let's go ahead and and move on to the pass catchers, uh, Chris. When you're when you're building your lineups, uh, let's start with wide receivers. We'll move on to tight ends. There'll probably be a little bit of overlap, um, but we will tell you tell you the differences. Uh, what what are you looking for in your wide receivers? And are you are you varying your your approach to wide receivers between FanDuel and DraftKings? Because this is where it does start to get very different in the full PPR and the half PPR aspects of the game. And there also is a flex position. So uh, how are you appro- approaching the wide receiver position? That's a good question. Um, you know, first and foremost, um, in terms of wide receiver correlations, 
again, um, it, it's volume over efficiency. Target volume is the highest correlated uh, um, um, stat to, to wide receiver fantasy points. Um, the more opportunities a wide receiver gets, the more likely he is to score fantasy points. Um, so the first thing I'm doing is I'm, I'm looking at wide receiver targets. Um, I want a wide receiver to get a lot of targets. And then the next thing I'm looking at is their touchdown potential. Um, because a lot of times, you know, uh, it, it, it's just hard to consistently be profitable in DFS if, you're, if, you're, if your players aren't scoring touchdowns because those, those six points are a huge swing. So you kind of want to find ways to maximize those in your lineup. Um, so for, for that, you know, I'm, I'm really looking at red zone targets for wide receivers. Um, about two-thirds of, of, of receiving touchdowns do occur in the red zone. Um, so I'm looking at that. And then to, to go to your question on a varying approach between a site like FanDuel, who's half-point PPR, and a site like DraftKings, who's full-point PPR, um, I, I, I did some work on, on, on coefficient of variation, which is basically measures the percent change week-to-week uh, -week in, in fantasy points uh, uh, relative to their average. And what I found was that you know on FanDuel, because it's only half-point PPR, uh, you know, wide receivers are – are, are less consistent than running backs they're, they're, uh, because you know, they're not getting full credit for all those receptions. Um, whereas a site like DraftKings, wide receivers um, are just as consistent as running backs. Quarterbacks are the most consistent position, but uh, you know, wide receiver and running backs are, are next uh, pretty equal in, in full-point PPR. Um, so in full-point PPR, um, you know, I'm, I'm really looking for those targets becoming even more important. Um, whereas in a half point PPR, um, touchdowns, um, even though targets are still the base, um, touchdowns come into play a, a little more because, you know, a receiver could catch 10 passes and that, that's only worth five points. Um, so, 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 um, he'll, he'll need a kind of a touchdown to kind of put him over the, the edge um, on that. Um, so how about you, TJ? Uh, what, what are you looking at, um, when you're going through your wide receivers, making your wide receiver choices? Yeah, let me just say real quick. When in in regard to all of these positions, um, I haven't. I don't think I've mentioned it yet. But one of the metrics I'm consistently using is four for four's adjusted fantasy points against metric. Uh, if you're not familiar with it, you can. And you're a subscriber to four for four, you can find it on the site. Um, but basically, it just takes uh, points that uh, opposing opposing defenses are are giving up and adjust for strength of schedule. So it gives you a really accurate ranking of how teams are stopping each position um so that's not right receiver uh, specific that is across the board that's that's a really really important metric and it factors pretty heavily into my decision making each week um but going back to what you said about uh targets and touchdown potential uh a, a lot of you can track a player's targets per game and their their overall volume per game uh and that that generally over over the course of the season is going to even out, but game specific this weekly DFS game we want to know how often they're going to hit their average, how often they're going to be above their average, how often they're going to be below their average, and tying this into Vegas lines. One stat that I like to look at is uh, the percent of team targets that each receiver is getting. So uh, you know if. If a player gets 25% of their team targets, which is pretty high, and but they are in a game where they're only expected, you know, to score 14 points, um, their volume is going to be really low. Even if they're averaging eight or nine targets a game in that specific game, uh, we could kind of we we can project out uh, the team's volume uh, based on those Vegas lines, and then we could take it a step further, look at how much they average. Um, 
uh, of the passing game. Uh, you know, so if, if they, if for some reason that quarterback is only, you know, gonna gonna throw, you know, 25 times, where he usually throws at 35 to 40 because they're playing against, you know, the Bills who who are gonna slow the game down and you know control the ball and and that team's gonna gonna run less plays. Well, then I could look at the percentage of targets that that player gets each week, which is gonna be a lot more consistent than his actual weekly targets, and I could really project out. Uh, what I think his volume is going to be that week. And in terms of, of, of scoring, you talked about getting, looking for targets inside the red zone. Uh, a, a kind of hidden way that you can look for value is you can look at, you can look at a player's targets inside the red zone um, and then see how often they're scoring touchdowns inside the red zone. Over the course of a season or over, over the long run, that, that's generally going to regress to the mean in terms of how often uh, – receivers or, or pass catchers score um, in terms of percentage of targets. So if you find a guy that is being targeted heavily inside the red zone, but he hasn't scored many touchdowns, he's bound to regress towards the mean, meaning that those targets are going to turn into touchdowns. And because he hasn't been scoring touchdowns, touchdowns the chances are his salary is going to be depressed a little bit so that's a really great way to find value in both cash games and gpps uh, so that that's something that i look at uh, just taking it a step further in terms of targets and touchdowns for my pass catchers yes yeah that's a really important point um you know it, you know the the average red zone touchdown conversion rate is about uh 22 for wide receivers um, you know, so, it, you know, it's, it's more about getting the targets in the first place. Um, you, you know, you just have, you know, if they're not getting the targets, they're not going to, it's going to be hard for them to score touchdowns anyway. Um, so, so you really just want the red zone targets. You, you don't want guys who, who are going to kind of be afterthoughts when they get into the red zone. Um, you know, uh, that's why, you know, it, 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 it's hard for me to roster guys like, you know, Andrew Hawkins, for example, last year, is just a guy who, you know, he, he, he had some decent target volume and some, but, but when, once the team got into the red zone, he wasn't really a factor. Um, and then, you know, another thing real quick, um, cause we have, we still have a lot to talk about, but, um, you know, I, I'm always looking at the matchups versus the cornerbacks. You know, is there going to be a cornerback that's going to shadow a particular receiver? Does a team play a lot of zone coverage, and does that receiver line up more in the slot, which means he'll get to go against some linebackers and yes. some corners? Um, and, and also the size factor plays a big part. Um, in general, bigger wide receivers are going to have more success in the red zone. Um, but it's also just a lot of times it comes down to the quarterback. You know, for example, Randall Cobb was the best red zone receiver last year, and that's pretty much because he had Aaron Rodgers as his quarterback. Um, but it, a lot of times you can find, uh, you know, little things like in a, in a wide receiver cornerback matchup, you know, if a cornerback is a big physical guy like a Brandon Browner, for example, um, a lot of times those guys are vulnerable to the smaller quicker wide receivers like for example a john brown a john brown might be able to to, to, to torch a brandon browner but, but but he might not be as effective against a smaller guy uh, um where and, and the opposite holds true as well so i'm always looking at that and then finally i'm looking at you know the offensive line situation the pass or a situation if a wide receiver gets deeper targets down the field um you know those routes need time to develop so if a, if, a, if a team is if his team is playing against a team with a really strong pass rush um you know, a lot of times maybe those routes don't develop. So maybe you have a situation like a, a Tory Smith or, or a Michael Floyd where in a given week, if, if, if their team is facing uh, an opponent that, that has a really good pass rush, these guys run primarily vertical routes. Um, you know, they might not be good plays because – 
you know, you, you know, they, th- those routes are going to have time to develop, but they might not. So, you know, I, w- when it comes to wide receivers, um, it, it really uh, one of the things I love, uh, especially in my cash games, is looking at you know just how often a guy can get open, and that's something that you you, you might not targets can kind of measure that because you need to get open to get a target in the first place most of the time. Um, you know, some quarterbacks still launch balls in there even when, when guys aren't open. Jay Cutler, I'm talking <laughs> to you, but. Um, uh, in general, um, you know, guys with, with, with short area quickness that can win quickly at the line of scrimmage and get open very quickly are going to see uh, targets on a consistent basis. So guys like Antonio Brown, Odell Beckham, and Randall Cobb, um, even though they're not this prototypical, you know, big, strong wide receiver, these guys are so quick and so fast laterally moving uh, that they can get open at will, and they're, and they're pretty much going to be the centerpieces of their passing offenses. So, you know, those three guys, Cobb, Beckham, and, and, and Brown, are three guys that I'm going to kind of be looking to almost every week uh, you know if I can get those guys or you know one maybe two uh, of those guys into my into my cash game lineups every week you know I, I'm not sure that's going to change a lot as the season progresses as long as those guys stay healthy I think those guys are going to be staples um, because I think they're going to be the most consistent um, options just because of that short area quickness and their ability to get open their ability to move around play in the slot play outside basically find um, the best defensive matchup on the field and exploit it um, you know that that, that's something that's very important um, uh, in terms of just being able to uh, select players that aren't going to bust in a different week. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad you touched on that on the the slot receivers and the short area quickness. That was that was a point I wanted to touch on and and forgot. So you uh, you saved me on that one. Uh, but yeah, that's really really good stuff on wide receivers. Now that we went we've went over. Uh, First few positions uh, we touched on wide receivers. Uh, we're going to move on to the other pass catchers. Uh, these guys are traditionally the most inconsistent scores in in fantasy football. It's the tight end position. Uh, they're the highest variance from week to week. Uh, so how do you go about uh, attacking the tight end position, Chris? And I guess the the big question every week is: Do you pay up for a Gronk or do you tend to go cheap tight end? Um, that, it, it really depends on, on the week. Um, again, you know, it, sometimes there's a lot of values at other positions and sometimes there's not. Um, but with tight ends, it, it's very similar um, to wide receivers in that you're still looking for target volume. Uh, you know, volume uh, correlates to fantasy points for tight ends uh, much more than efficiency metrics do. Um, so you're looking for that. But, but even more so than wide receivers um, with tight ends, you're looking for touchdown potential because tight ends just see – um, such a low amount of targets on, on on a weekly basis compared, you know, to wide receivers. Um, tight ends were only targeted on uh, 20% of all passes in, in 2014, uh, and wide receivers were targeted on 60% of passes. So, you know, um, it, it really just comes down to, you know, be, your tight end, if your tight end can hit, can, can, can get into the end zone, um even if he doesn't, you know, get a lot of catches or a lot of yards. Um, and like you said, tight ends have a lot of variants, so it's very hard to predict them. Um, if you can just find tight ends on, on, on teams expected to score a lot of points, uh, teams with good quarterbacks, um, just tight ends that, you know, have a, a decent uh, – 
touchdown potential. Um, that's huge because tight ends actually convert red zone touchdowns at a 31% rate uh, compared to 22% for wide receivers. So, you know, guys like, you know, an Owen Daniels who's cheap, but, you know, is playing with Peyton Manning in a good offense. Um, you know, even a guy, you know, perhaps like Ben Watson, um, you know, if he's going to be the starter for the Saints, um, you know, he, you know, guys like that, you know, who, who, who have, um, who, who generally have um, good touchdown potential are, can be viable options because they're going to be so cheap. Um, and, and, but again, it, it just comes down to the target volume. You want tight ends that are going to run a lot of routes and, and, and see a decent amount of, of, of targets um, because because they're very but, but they're very touchdown dependent at the end of the day. Um, I, I know you know uh, Rob Gronkowski. Um, he he checks all of those boxes. He sees the most targets. He has the most touchdown potential. Um, and you know so you know there's no there's no there's nothing wrong with paying up for him. Um, you know if he's a good value and he fits into your lineup that week, I wouldn't avoid it. But in general, just keep in mind that with a lot of these other tight ends, um, they are you know very inconsistent on 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 a weekly basis. Um, so you know Rob Gronkowski and I think Greg Olson is going to be another guy this year that's just going to see a lot of consistent production because Carolina has no other. Um, uh, wide receivers that that they can rely on, uh, especially early in the season. Um, so yeah, that was a great question. And uh, because we we are running out of time, let's just uh, let's just jump right into defense special teams. Uh, TJ, uh, you know, how are you going about uh, selecting uh, your 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 DST? Yeah. So, um, like I mentioned before, one of the one of the stats that that I really rely on is adjusted fantasy points against metric on 4 for 4 And I think when it comes to uh, defense and special teams, this is a really important uh, metric for me because it encompasses the whole defense. It tells you how they perform against, uh, against good offenses, against bad offenses, all in one number. And unlike a, a single position where, um, you know, e- even if a team is very poor against running backs or very poor against wide receivers, uh, they they can scheme to take away a particular player. So if a team is very very bad against wide receivers and the adjusted fantasy points against metric, but they just decide going into that game that they're going to take away Des Bryant, they theoretically theoretically can do that. Uh, when it comes to an entire defense, um, that whole unit's going to perform uh, pretty similar um, in this metric because it's adjusted for their strength of schedule. Um, now, as far as specific stats go. Uh, what I'm looking for is, yes, we want turnovers. Yes, we want, uh, you know, sacks. But those things are, are are pretty unpredictable. But what we can look at to 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 give us a higher uh, percentage chance of having a defense that's going to accumulate those sacks and and um, and interceptions and and fumble recoveries um, is we want to look at 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 quarterback pressure um, and pass rush. Mm-hmm. Uh, so really. On a week-to-week basis, and even over the season, sacks are going to be very inconsistent. But uh, how often a team pressures a quarterback, that's going to be very consistent. And although maybe they haven't got to the quarterback yet, that that uh, that quarterback pressure is going to turn into sacks. And sacks and quarterback pressure is what causes bad throws. It's what causes interceptions. It's uh, it's it's where fumbles come from when, when they're blindsiding quarterbacks. So I want these teams that are getting pressure on the quarterbacks, whether they've piled up the sacks or not yet in the season. And uh, and then you, you can take that a step further and see how um, – how often quarterbacks are completing passes against them. You can target quarterbacks uh, that have low completion percentages and, and high sack rates uh, 
regardless of defenses they're facing. And that's all going to add up to uh, poor quarterback play, which is generally going to correlate to turnovers and defensive fantasy scoring. Yep, I think that's a great point. Um, like you said, uh, you know, defenses get their main, uh, most of their scoring from, from sacks and from interceptions. Both of those occur on passing plays. Um, so what you want to do, too, is you want to look at, you know, Vegas lines. You want favorites. Um, this, well, defense special teams is another position where, just like running backs, I rarely, if ever, will uh, select a especially in cash games, a, a an underdog. I want a favorite because um, a team has to be up in a game to force passing situations. You know, if, if a team is trailing, the, the, the opponent opposing offense can just run the ball on them and they're not going to get a chance for those sacks. They're not going to get a chance for those interceptions. Um, it, it's when a team is ahead in a game um, that they force the opposing offense to, um, you know, now have to throw the ball, to have to make uh, more risky throws, and, and that defense can at the same time, uh, you know, kind of ignore the run, rear back, send a lot of pass rushers. They can put more defensive backs out there to focus on coverage. They can just do a lot of things. Um, and, and like you mentioned, uh, sack rates, those are a quarterback trait. So, um, you know, in addition to looking at you know how good a defensive pass rush is, you know a quarterback who gives up a high sack rate, um, you know that's something that's actually consistent from year to year. And then interceptions can can be predicted not by previous interception rate, but instead by completion percentage. Um, so you know with that being said, the last position we have to talk about, and I know it's not in every daily fantasy site anymore, but uh, just real quick, uh, kickers. Um, you know, uh, TJ, uh, how are you going about selecting your kicker, uh, for example, on on Fanduel? All right, I'm going to go ahead and just throw this one back to you because as far as I know, you're the only person that, that's written uh, about how, how kicker scoring um, uh, correlates and how consistent it is, and I base it specifically off what you've written, so I'll go ahead and let you answer that one, actually. Sure, man. Uh, you know, so, you know, one thing I think people, people don't like kickers, and I think a lot of daily sites remove them because people feel like kickers are very random, they're unpredictable. Well, it turns out that kickers are actually the most consistent fantasy position uh, besides quarterbacks on a week-to-week basis. Um, and, and the reason for that is kicker points correlate very strongly to quarterback points. Um, if a team is moving up and down the field and getting, you know, into scoring position, you know, they're either scoring touchdowns or they're scoring field goals, you know, and, uh, and if they're scoring touchdowns, they're getting extra points. So basically you want kickers um, on good offenses. Kicker is yet another position where I'm looking for Vegas favorites. I'm also looking for high uh, projected team totals by Vegas um, because you basically just want a kicker that's going to be a part of, of the most point scoring uh, by that offense. So again, you know, look at the Vegas. Vegas favorites, you know, you don't want an underdog because you don't want a kicker to get into negative game script. You don't want a coach to say, oh, hey, it's fourth down and five. I'm going to go for it instead of kicking this field goal um, because I need to score and my team needs to catch up. You want you want a team to be playing in positive game script so that they're ahead in the game so that they're able to kind of tap on field goals late so that they're not pressed to score touchdowns um, and, and um, so that's that's mainly the, the big thing with kickers. Um, as far as field goal accuracy, that is uh, it's very hard. It's very it varies a lot from from week to week and year to year. Um, so I wouldn't look too much at field goal accuracy. The main thing is opportunities. You know, you're only going to get you know one, two, three, four opportunities for for, for field goals in a game. Um, and, and the league average kicking rate is around eighty percent anyway. So so it's a good chance if a kicker gets an opportunity, unless he's completely horrible, um, you know that he's gonna he's gonna he's gonna hit his field goals. So you know. 
know, just just check the Vegas lines out, guys. Um, you know, pick those favorites. Pick the guys in high scoring. Uh, you know, on high scoring offenses. Um, and, and and you know, you don't have to pick the cheapest kicker. Um, you know, if if there's a kicker that costs you know you know a little more, um, but he's on a really good offense in a really good position. Um, you know, don't be afraid to pay. You know, say you know forty nine or fifty on FanDuel for a kicker instead of going, you know, min price 45, 46, because that can be a huge difference between a kicker who scores, you know, double digits to a kicker who scores five or six points. Uh, that can give you your lineup a major advantage. Um, you know, so, you know, now, you know, what we want to do, we've kind of ran through all the positions, how we, const- how we construct lineups, um, you know, quickly, um, you know, we, we got, we got a bunch of great Twitter questions. Um, we won't be able to get to all of them in, in this podcast, but we will touch on all of them throughout the season. Um, but we do have a few that we do want to get to. So I'll, uh, I'll, I'll read the question out and then TJ, you can kind of go ahead and, and, and address it, uh, quickly. Um, our first one comes from, uh, at Ryan underscore G Dovin on Twitter, uh, what up Ryan, um, he asks, how many core players uh, do you identify before building around them? Do you start with minimum price values? Uh, what are the best practices? Yeah, we kind of touched on this a little bit earlier. Um, I don't have a, a specific number of, of core players that I identify uh, you know, before I build around them, but I, I do look for those best values first. We talked about building from the bottom up, uh, starting with a, a, a cheapest defense that you think you'll be comfortable rolling with, and then building in uh, th- those top values of the week, whether it be a running back or wide receiver. Whatever those best values are, that's where I'm starting. Then I'm looking to build my studs around that adjusting from there so that, that's a really good question so uh yeah the the bottom up approach uh usually works best for me like you touched on earlier so uh thanks for that question ryan yeah definitely uh you know uh again you know the the, the lower price salary guys are, are usually lower price for a reason it's going to be harder to find value in the lower price uh guys so you know it the first thing you want to do is find any value that you can in the lower price guy and then go from there because again you don't want to force you know studs into your lineup i know i, w- I was talking to the uh fantasy goodfellas i did a podcast with them shout out to them um and and, and i was talking to, we were kind of just going over a lot of studs and uh it came up about uh julio jones on DraftKings in week one was i think 9.3k and and I, and I was saying how you know my favorite uh stud wide receiver was aj green That's 7.8 because at the end of the day those guys are both studs but it's daily fantasy you're trying to get the most uh you know the most bang for your buck so you know i'm going with the guy who's playing oakland um for for for, for 1.5k cheaper um because i'm not trying to for you know i know julio is, is a great is a great play he's in a great matchup um and he's going to get a lot of targets and he's a monster but you know at the end of the day you're, you're trying to build a balanced lineup all around not just have a couple of studs and then and then hope that your West lineup goes off. So, um, yeah, bottom-up approach, definitely. Um, I think that's a great uh, a great point. Um, so the next question um, comes from uh, FFD Generate, uh, Jersey Jen on Twitter. Uh, sh- uh, she asks, uh, generally, are you better off flexing running back or wide receiver? Uh, so I guess this is a specifically a, a DraftKings question as uh, FanDuel does implement the flex position. Uh, in in GPPs, I'm I shouldn't I never want to say 100 percent of the time, but I'm almost always starting a wide receiver on my flex in GPPs just because uh, they have much higher upside than uh, running backs, and you want you're going for for upside over consistency in, in tournaments. Uh, when it comes to cash games, uh, if if the salaries allow me to, then I really want a high volume um, pass catching running back in that in that flex spot. 
um, in general uh, because it is full PPR and I want that pass catcher in my flex. And uh, just from a, from, from a general perspective, running backs are going to offer a higher floor than receivers. Um, but you have done a little bit of research this offseason that suggests that, that that shouldn't always be the case, Chris. Yeah. So, um, you know, last year I was doing uh, all this consistency research and um, I was using only FanDuel scoring, so only .5 PPR scoring. Um, and then this year I actually expanded that to also do uh, 1.0 PPR scoring. And what I found was that on, on, on .5 PPR scoring, uh, and I think I touched on this earlier, but, you know, running backs are more consistent than wide receivers. However, once you uh, factor in the full point PPR, running backs and wide receivers are equally consistent. So I think it just, a lot, it just comes down to who's the better dollar per point value, where is the value at in that particular week. You know, if it's, if it's really hard to come by running back value in a game, given week then you're fine starting only two running backs and going to wide receivers in the flex um and and again if there if there's a lot maybe maybe a couple running backs get hurt and there's some cheap replacement running backs um you can maybe start two of those guys and then have your third a third stud running back in the flex um so it really depends on the week uh week to week uh uh value that's available um but like you said tj um in tournaments i'm always I'm almost always going wide receiver in the flex because I've uh, I've I've done extensive research on this and what I found was that the highest scoring games for wide receivers um, are are just a lot higher um, than, than the highest scoring games for running backs wide receivers because uh, on full point PPR scoring um, you know wide receivers get points for those receptions uh, um, and everything they they just end up with 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 super high um, with super high upside um, so so tournaments. You know, your millie makers, um, get a wide receiver in there. Um, but, you know, cash games, uh, you know, it really just comes down to who's, who's the best value. Um, okay, next question. Uh, Mark Folkler, uh, which is Mark F283 on Twitter, asks, can you talk a little bit, bit about routine you use for lineup building. So I know, I know we kind of went through that throughout the whole pod, but you know, TJ, if you just want to go quickly through, you know, walk through a little routine um, for how you build your lineup. Yeah. I mean, we, we kind of touched on how we go uh, position by position, but uh, you know, I, I try to build my lineups early. If you're just talking about like the weekly routine, I try to build them early in the week um, because for a couple reasons, I want, I want to be able to like sleep on what my initial thoughts were uh, once all the, once, once the games ended, uh, from the previous week, once I have all the stats imported, I want to get a couple lineups together really, really quickly. Um, you know, even even sometimes as early as Tuesday, uh, just so I, later in the week I can I can go back and and see if anything changed, um, or or if I'm maybe overvaluing some late week news that that uh, that might not be as important that I. I, I look back at that, that initial lineup and, and realize that, no, I, I looked at a stat here that, that's way more important than this news, so I can go back and, and reference that early lineup. You know, it gives you some time to sleep on it, um, and you can, you can adjust throughout the week. And also it gives me a chance to, uh, to for, for this is more of a GPP thing, but it lets me build lineups that I think is going to be the best lineup, but then I can adjust it based on, uh, you know, Thursday games or just stuff I've read throughout the week um, of of 
what I think the general public's going to be doing. So sometimes you won't have a read right away, say Tuesday or Wednesday, on on where people are going to be going as far as player values and and ownership percentages. Um, you know, but if I if I build a lineup that I think is is really great for GPPs uh, early in the week, but then I realize that you know two or three of my players are going to be super high owned, then I could you know adjust to to what I initially thought. So you know, I want some time to to digest information, uh, but also. Um, know that I'm I'm adjusting my lineups uh based on a a good process and not just some you know Saturday morning Sunday morning uh news and and not having anything to fall back on for that week um so outside of like actually building my lineup I I generally just want to start early Definitely, yeah. No, that's that, that's that's great. That's that's pretty much what I do. You know, I, I try to you know build an original lineup, and then and then you know throughout the week, I'm just kind of tailoring things and, and doing research and kind of seeing how I how I want to adjust that. And um, but yeah, I think it is important to have a routine. What you know, do the same kind of research uh, every week. Um, you know, don't get caught up. You know, don't fall down a rabbit hole and get get sidetracked, kind of stick to your process. And then because then you can go back and evaluate your process. And, you know, if it's working or not working, um, you can make adjustments accordingly. So, um, you know, it's always a good routine. And uh, TJ, I think you briefly mentioned ownership percentages. And, you know, that's a whole nother topic, uh, which we'll have to talk about in a whole nother podcast. But, you know, when I'm entering tournaments, I'm definitely keeping in mind ownership percentages. Um, you know, what I think, how, how owned I think a player will be. I'm paying attention to how much they're being talked about on Twitter where they are in the fantasy pros consensus rankings things like that because in tournaments um not every player needs to be well owned in your lineup but you need to have some differentiators um in your lineup uh to to really hit big in a tournament um so you know i think that that's gonna wrap it up for us here um tj this was this was really awesome really fun um glad to have you on board here um we had a really great conversation man so thank you um I'm excited for the season. We're going to be bringing this to you every week. Um, this is the first of many. Uh, like I said, throughout the season, we'll be bringing both picks and theory topics. Uh, next week, uh, since we got theory uh, a couple weeks early, we'll, we'll be focusing more on week one picks. Um, hopefully, we'll have a little bit of time for, for a little bit of theory and then some more Twitter questions. Again, if we didn't get to your questions, we're sorry, but we are going to get to all Twitter questions. If not on the pod, we'll definitely answer you on Twitter. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you for following us on Twitter. Um, you can follow me at TJ Hernandez. Uh, you can follow Chris at Chris Raybon. Uh, follow at 444Football for all, all 444 information. Um, and that's going to do it for the week. Thanks, TJ. Thank you guys for listening. This is DFS MVP, Daily Fantasy Sports, most valuable podcast from my co-host TJ Hernandez. I'm Chris Raybon. It's a wrap. We'll see you next week.